Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. I want to welcome everybody coming into my home for Gospel Saving Church. And I want to welcome everybody online coming for Gospel Saving Church on SoundCloud all over the world. God bless you. Welcome. Um, thank you for joining us today. I hope that uh, the Lord enlightens you today and, and helps you see His Word and helps you understand His Word. Before I start anything on my thoughts from last week's message, usually I start off with a word of prayer. Because I need the Lord to help me, and we need the Lord to help us understand what He has for us to say to us today. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'd appreciate it. <coughs> Excuse me, as uh, we ask for the Lord's blessing on this teaching. So Lord, we just come before you today, Lord. We're always before you, Lord God. We, Lord, you're, we're always in your presence, Lord, because Lord, everything is in your presence. You, you are, <laughs> you are everywhere, Lord. So we just thank you, Lord, that we get to come before you, but we know your word says, Jesus, that wherever two or more gathered in your name, then you will be there. And Lord, we know there's two or more gathered here in your name, and so we know that you're here. So Lord Jesus, welcome, and thank you for joining us today in this message, and thank you for um, just being our guest of honor, Lord. We uh, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, um, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand your words today. And then help us, Lord God, not only to understand your words, but Lord, help us to be doers of the things that you teach us today, not hearers only. Lord, because the hearer only is not blessed. The hearer only doesn't get any benefit from your word. And the hearer only really doesn't honor you. With You said, Jesus, the way we, you wanted us to be toward God was that we would love him with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul. And Lord, if we're not doing what you say, how can we truly be loving you with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls? So Lord, teach us today how to love you in these ways. And teach us, Lord, what you have to say to us today. And help us, Lord, correct our perspectives, Lord. Correct our perspectives on one of the worst things that the world has seen for Christianity up until this day, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord. Teach us, and Lord, keep the distractions out of this place. And uh, just help us to understand and then do what you say. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you guys want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 21. We're going to finish the first book of Timothy today. Uh, I don't know how many weeks we were in it, but it was sure a lot less than our study in Matthew. Uh, We're going to finish this last chapter, finish the first book of Timothy. I don't know where I'm going to be next week. I've got to pray about it. Please be praying for me that the Lord would show me where to go. That's kind of how I do things. I just rely on the Lord for pretty much everything. Um, So you can turn in your Bibles or listen along, but I'm going to read over my thoughts from last week's message while you're getting in there in your Bibles. And our last week's message was titled, If You Abide in My Word, it's words from Jesus, John 8, 31, You Are My Disciples. So my thoughts from last week's message. I was thinking about the things that I taught last week and I was thinking about Jesus' words, you know, specifically in John 8, 31, where he said, if you abide in my word, when that would be the teachings of the Bible now, right? Because we can't, I can't hear his audible word now, and I don't know very many people that he does allow them to hear that. So this would be, his word now would be the teachings in our Bible now. So he says, if you abide in the teachings that are in your Bible, the, the things that I said, you are my disciples, or you could say a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. And of course I said that only a, the Bible only says that a, that a follower is the one who's saved. Only the one who decides to surrender their lives to Christ. Only the Bible says 
that the one that decides to follow Christ is the one that is his. It's not those people that aren't following him that are his. It's those that are decided to follow him, which is a disciple, that it's his. Well, it dawned on me as I was thinking about these things that very easily someone could misunderstand what I said and maybe what Jesus said, you know, where he said, you know, only those that abide, or he says, those that abide in my word are my disciples, that people might be able to think that real easily that they could be saved by the works, and the work specifically of abiding in his word or abiding in his teachings. But the Bible is very clear that salvation does not come by works. It's by grace through faith. It's not of works, at least any man should boast. So can people earn their salvation by abiding in the works of the specific teachings of Jesus Christ? Well, yes, they can, but there's kind of a catch-22 here. You can, because Jesus said you can, but you got to understand his teachings were not all works. Some of his teachings were works, how to serve God, so on and so forth, how to love God with all your heart. But then a lot of his teachings, many of his teachings were on salvation. So you see, just to give you a couple examples of what he taught, one on salvation, one on works. He says in Matthew 10, 39, the last half of it, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's not a work that you can do. Doing a work is not losing your life. He's talking about surrendering your life, surrendering the control of your life to Jesus Christ for my sake. That's what he just said there. Those who lose their lives, those who surrender their lives to me, for me, they shall find their lives. Okay, this is not a work. It's a work that God's been doing in their hearts and everybody's hearts to get us to surrender. This is not a work. This is a work on salvation. And this is kind of where salvation starts. Can't do this anymore, God. I need you. Here I am. Please take me. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I need you. Uh, save me. That's where. That's that step right there, Matthew 10, 39, which is not a work. But here's one on works. Mark 16, 15, Jesus teaches here. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Does that get somebody saved? No. But that is something that somebody does after they get saved. Jesus commands those that follow him to go into the world and do the work, not the work to save, but the work to help others find him as well too. So, does abiding or living by the words or teachings of Jesus Christ teach people that they can be saved by works? Absolutely not. But, Abiding in or living by or living in his words or teachings do help people to get saved first. And then after that, those same teachings, his same teachings, teach us how to serve God after we get saved. Did Jesus' teachings, were, you know, the things that he taught, did they end with him? Or do we see them later on? Do we see them in other books of the Bible? Do we see his disciples or his apostles teaching them? Yes, absolutely we did. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Paul's only repeating what he heard Jesus teach throughout his ministry. And Paul had, you know, special revelation from Christ. And Christ would reveal himself to Paul. And Paul spent a lot of time with Christ even after he was resurrected. Um, and he says in Ephesians 2, chapter or verses 8 through 10. Uh, but specifically 8 and 10. And I'm only going to read the first part of 8 and all of 10 for context. Because this is what Jesus just taught. He says, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2. He says, people are saved by grace through faith. That's how salvation happens. God's free gift of salvation is given 
by His grace, and then we have to have faith in that and turn to Jesus Christ, and this is kind of how it works. By grace, we're saved through faith. But then he goes down to verse or chapter or verse 10, and he says, he tells us what God expects us to do after we get saved. He goes on to say, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see there, just like Jesus, just like Paul, salvation first, and that comes by following or abiding in the teachings of Christ and salvation, doing what Jesus said on how to get saved, by grace through faith, turning to Him, surrendering to Him, then works to serve God come after salvation. But it's not because of their works that they get saved. It's because they decided to start abiding in or by the words of salvation of Jesus Christ first and then in His words of service unto God. And I will add that we need to do this kind of thing until we die. We need to practice this abiding in His words of salvation and abiding in his words of works until we die because Jesus did. Jesus says only those that endure to the end shall be saved. So please, 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 it's a dangerous teaching in our world today. Don't think people are saved by their good works of the keeping of the law or whatever. That's a very false teaching in our day and back even in Paul's day. But on the other hand, if you're saved, please, please, please don't think Well, now that I'm saved, I can just sit back and live life. Because this is not what Jesus Christ taught that was a true disciple or a true follower. He taught that a true disciple or follower was one that abided or lived in or lived by his teachings and then all of them. And if you're really saved, then you followed his teachings on salvation. And then now your desire is to serve him. And now, hey, what do I have to do to serve you? And this is what should automatically come next. So if we're not following these teachings, then chances are we're not saved because, you know, officially when God sends his Holy Spirit into you, he kind of leads you to do these things, leads you to serve him, leads you to surrender to him. You know, once you're surrendered to him, leads you to serve him. And if we're not abiding in his teachings, then chances are we're not really serving and loving the true God of the Bible. We've made up our own God. We're All we have to do is pray some prayer, you know, oh, God loves me no matter what, and so on and so forth, and this is a dangerous thing. Anyway, so praise God. Let's uh, switch gears now and get on to our new sermon for today. Our title of our new message is, God is Enough. Again, that title, God is Enough. I'm going to read over 1 Timothy 6 through 21. You can read along with me or you can just listen along and then I'll start to teach on it. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He was the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, dwelling in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those that are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, there are a lot of teachings that people have come up with throughout the years that go against the teachings of Paul and Jesus Christ and the Bible's doctrine about godliness, verse 5 of last week, or I'm sorry, not verse 5, uh, verses 3 through 5 of last week. But some of the biggest teachings against Christ's disciples in the Bible are teachings that involve money, or people that use the gospel or the teachings of God for gain or to make themselves rich. And if those teachings that go against Christ, his disciples of the Bible, don't seem to be directly making those who teach them rich, the underlying or hidden root of these false teachings is usually for their preacher's financial game in some other way or in some way or another. And because these preachers' desire for money is so strong and many want it so bad, they'll do just about anything to get it. Even use God's word and the teachings of the Bible in a false way to get it. Sadly, what these false preachers that preach for gain don't realize is, is when they finally meet Jesus Christ, on Judgment Day, when they meet Him, they'll have to pay a great penalty, for God knows all. And He knows if you're going to teach, and He knows what, what they're teaching. He knows that they're teaching falsely, or He knows if you're teaching rightly. And if you're teaching falsely, as they are on money, God knows it. And he sees that you're leading people astray. And so when you face God face to face one day, you can't get away with anything. God knows it. God sees it. And you know what? I, I can't feel sorry for him at that point because they didn't repent. They preached a false gospel, prosperity, their whole careers. And now they're, they face God and God's going to say, you know, my son, you know, I think at one point you knew me. But you know what? Look at where you went. Look at how many people you had focused on money. You didn't want me. You wanted the money. And he's going to send them to hell, and that's just going to be their lot. James 3 says that those that teach the Bible are held to a higher account by God. And you see, that goes for me and everybody that teaches the Bible. Anybody that teaches the Bible, we're held to a higher account. And so we know that we're going to be judged with a stricter you know, judgment. At least I do. That's what the Bible says. Any good student of the Bible knows that. And these people, these preachers, will be judged by a higher standard of God. And of course, they're going to fail because they preach for prosperity and not for salvation, and not for God. You see, these preachers that use the gospel or the teachings of God to get wealthy themselves not only misuse God's word to get the people to give them the money, but they also teach the people that they teach them the Bible in a certain way where they think that they can use the Bible also 
and God's word also to make themselves rich too. And of course, we know that everything that they do and everything that they teach, God is not a God of, uh, you know, oh, I want you to be rich and wealthy and never suffer and never have any problems. And, and, and we know that this is not our best life now. We know that the best life now is when we leave and we go to heaven. And we're actually with God where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. That's your best life. Not certainly not your best life now. But you see, they misuse God's word and they take it out of context and they get everybody and their teachings are all false and people are believing false teachings of the Bible. I would say that of all the false teachings against Christ in the Bible, the teachings for gain or to get wealth or money are the biggest ones. And I'd have to say that even up to, to this day in our modern Christianity in America and even in like countries like Africa, that these teachings of prosperity and wealth have been some of the biggest teachings that have caused the great downfall and the great apostasy of the Christian church. If you remember last week even, my biggest class of false teachers was the prosperity doctrine gospel teachers. That's This is the, the majority of teachers in America that are, the you know, we have a whole bunch now that teach about prosperity and all they want is your money and they've hurt They've hurt real Christians a great deal by all they do is talk about money and they, they, they've lured many in to greediness and to, you know, to the, to the love of money because of their preachings. And the Bible doesn't teach it as we're going to learn today. So since these preachers and teachers that use, used in Paul's day and use in our day the gospel or the teachings of God to get wealthy were such a problem and are still such a problem, uh, as Paul wrote in verse five, he said, uh, that, that, Godliness is a mean to gain. He says, you know, talking about the false teachers. Verse 5, they lure many away into greediness, and since they were such a problem, and they are such a problem today, Paul spends these next four verses or sentences telling Timothy and us about the correct perspective a Christian should have towards money and wealth, and warning Timothy and us of the dangers of money and wealth and what can happen to someone if they desire to be wealthy. Look at Paul's first words again there in verse 6. I'm going to read them again. He says here, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. This is a first. This is the first verse after he goes through all the false teachings and all those that go against Christ and, you know, they're, you know all this is wrong and anybody that, you know, teaches these things, get away from them. Remember, we talked about that last week. This is his first um a sentence or a verse that you know that he talks about after he says you know hey watch out for these people he starts off here by giving timothy and us the correct perspective a christian should have in even thinking about their own or getting or whatever money or wealth he simply says there that whole verse can be summed up in this when god is enough for you you will have great prosperity but do you think he's actually teaching about money Well, absolutely not. He's not talking about financial prosperity here. He's talking about spiritual prosperity here as godliness, was what he said, brought the great gain here. That's how we know it's not financial great gain. We know it's godliness that brought the great gain, not finances or or money or wealth that brought this great gain. Paul writes the same thing in another letter. 
but he words it a little different. Most people don't think that Paul wrote Hebrews, but I believe he did just because there's many things in the book that show me that he did, even though he didn't title it. But he wrote this, I believe, in Hebrews 13.5, and listen to the similarities to that very first verse 6 here. He says here in Hebrews 13.5, Let your conduct, what's conduct? Ways you live. Let your conduct, let the ways you live, be without covetousness. Or what is covetousness? Covetousness is without or without covetous means without the love or the desire for riches and wealth. So let your lifestyle, let your life be without the desire or the lust of money. This is what he said. He, he goes on to say, be content with such things as you have. He's speaking to Christians now. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the same thing he said here in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. He just words it a little different and adds some more words to it. But in a nutshell, he says this. He says, when God is enough for you and everything that he's provided for you is enough for you, you'll have great prosperity. If you're just content with God... If you're just content with what God has given you, you'll have great spiritual prosperity. You'll have great peace. And I say this to those that are saved that are listening to me. If you are saved, don't be in love with money, wealth, or stuff. For God is truly everything that you will ever need. God speaking to Moses in Exodus 3.14 says of Moses, he says, hey, tell the children of Israel, because I want you to go in there, and I want you to get them all out, and I want you to tell them, Moses says, hey, well, who do you, you know, who are you going to, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. I am sent you. Now, I know this means a whole lot of things, actually. It, it, It goes very deep. But what do I believe, which is scripturally contextual throughout the whole Bible, God says he's our great I am. Well, I am what? I believe he's saying, I am all that you or they will ever need. God is enough. I believe that when God in Christ and what he has provided for you is enough for you. Listen now. In every area of your life. Think about every area of your life. And think to yourself right now. Is God enough in my marriage? Is God enough in my work? Is God enough in my playtime? Is God enough in my relationships? Because I believe that when God and what he's given you and what he's provided for you is enough in every area of your life and you're not stuck on the stupid of God's not enough and I need more, I need more, I need more stuff and I need more this and I need more people, I need more money or I need more this. I mean, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. When God's enough, I believe you will have more peace and joy in your heart and soul than anyone else on this planet Earth. That's just, Paul said, verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, great spiritual gain. Now Paul goes on to elaborate on this idea on the correct perspective a Christian should have towards money and wealth in verse 7. Let's read that again. So he says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Very sobering. 
Very sober. What did he just say? Hey, you came into this world naked. The only thing you brought into this world was yourself. You didn't bring any money. You brought a lot of noise and a naked flesh body. That's what you brought into this world. And Paul says here, when you leave, you can't take anything with you that you gained here on this earth with you when you leave. It's very sobering. And since what Paul says here is true, why love the money or the wealth or the stuff or the junk of this world that you can't take with you when you die? It's real simple. Why are you going to set your heart towards to desire the things of this world when you can't have them forever? They're only like a temporary thing. Think of this. Of all the stuff that people spend their lifetimes to obtain and possess. Think of how much time you or me have spent, and especially me in my days before Christ. Think of how much time you spent gaining all the things that you just had to have. If you look at that, of all the stuff that people spend their time and their lifetimes to obtain and possess... Everything that we will have ever gotten or will ever get till we die will remain here on earth once we die and our souls leave our bodies and our bodies stay on this dirt ball of an earth planet. Our souls go to either be in heaven or in hell. But either way, we take nothing with us when we leave. Why be focused and desired toward having the things on this earth when we can't have them forever. But there is something that we can have forever, something greater than any treasure on this earth. And what is that? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are Paul's words here to Christians a new concept? Absolutely not. Listen to what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5, 15 and 16. Now, now Solomon didn't write everything in Ecclesiastes that was correct. He, he got a lot of his own things in there, and when you read them, they just don't line up with the truths of God. But this one here, he got right on the money. Ecclesiastes 5, 15 and 16, he says this. As he, or the man, or the person, came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this is also a severe Evil. Now, Solomon saw this as a great evil. I don't see this as a great evil. I wouldn't want to have sin-filled stuff in a perfect heavenly place. I don't know about you. I don't think this is a great evil, but Solomon did. But he says this is also severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? Of course, he's not talking about we can't labor to get wind because wind is everywhere. But what profit is it to you who labored for all the crap that you have in your life right now? All the cars that you've ever labored to buy, all the houses that you've ever labored to buy, all the things that you just had to have that you spent hours and hours and hundreds and thousands of hours to have, what profit are they at you or to you at your on your deathbed? I mean, people die all the time, multi, 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 multi millionaires and billionaires. And guess what? When they die, all their money stays here. You see, you think about this. People, we may think we own, like that's mine property. 
Cars, cash, houses, things, games, whatever. We may think we own them, but do we really own them? I mean, isn't ownership, when we think ownership, that's mine. It's a forever mine, right? Is it really forever yours? People don't live forever in their fleshly bodies. So that means I don't think we really own anything. We just temporarily hold on, you know, we, we, we temporarily hold on to stuff. We temporarily hold on to things until we die. Then what do we do when we die with the things that we had to gain? We either A, give them to somebody else, or B, they go back to the government if we don't have anybody else to leave them to. But we don't get to keep them forever. These things are very, very sobering. This is why Paul wrote them to wake up the Christians of his time. and This should wake Christians up now. Hey, I can't keep it forever. Why am I lusting and desiring to have all this crap that I can't have? Instead, you should be desiring a deeper relationship with God. For godliness with contentment is great gain. So because Paul believes God is all we need, he believes God is all, he's enough. And we are just temporary figures on this planet that cannot take anything with us that we obtain when we die. He summarizes it in verse 8. He says this, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. What did he say? Just be happy with the basic necessities of life that God has provided for you. Is Paul saying here that God will only give his kids or people food and clothing during their lives and that we will never receive anything else from God than food from our, for our bellies and clothing for our backs? Because that is, is that all that we see God giving us now? <laughs> That's not all I see God giving me now. God gives me lots more things, lots more blessings. So what is Paul saying here? He's trying to set our minds on this principle that God is enough. And when God is enough, we have great gain spiritually, in which that's the gain that we really want, spiritual gain. We shouldn't care about physical gain. And that we should be happy, he's trying to tell us, and content with a relationship with our Father and whatever else God has seen deemed fit for us to have. Summing up these few verses in a nutshell, Paul says this, it's all together, Paul tells Paul tells Timothy and all Christians here, don't strive after riches or wealth and the junk of this world because you can't keep it forever. For we are just passing through, and I'll add, because Paul didn't here, we only pass through for a very short amount of time. <laughs> Bible says we're here but a vapor. We're, we're here so, so little of a time. And he goes on to say, So just be content or happy in your relationship with God, for He is enough. And enjoy whatever it is that He's given you in your life, whether little or much. Just enjoy it. Enjoy your relationship with God. Enjoy what He's given you. And don't labor. Don't focus your mind. Don't go lusting after. Don't fix your mind on all this stuff. I see here in Paul's summary what he says in Philippians 4, 6-7. He says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. That would include wealth, possessions, whatever you could be anxious to get. Be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, remember I told you that if God's enough, you'll have peace in your soul, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Should we never want anything? Should we never have a desire for anything? Well, that's unrealistic. That's unrealistic, right? So what did he just say there? Another, apply this to, we do have some wants and we do have some desires. Paul's saying here, I'm saying here, we shouldn't be so focused on those things that we just like run to it like blindly. I gotta have it. That's all I gotta have. I just can't. I just need to have it. That's all I gotta have. Get out of my way, everything else. He says here, whatever you may even want or desire, hey, Give it in a petition to God. And then at that point, once you petition God for it, put that then in God's hands and say, Hey, God, this, these are the things that I'd really, really like. I'd really like this, and i really like this, and i really like this. But you know what, God? Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, Father, nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. Hey, God, I, these are the things that I want. I lay them before you. Hey, and hey, God, if you want to give them to me, if this is your will that I have them, praise you, God. Hey, I'll, I'll take them. But you know what, God? If they're not good for me, don't give them to me. Because since, you know, Jesus said God wants the best for us, God only gives his children good gifts. And if we ask for something that's not good and God gives it to us, then that makes God not good. So he can't give us things that aren't good because he's good. Okay? So put it in petition to God. And then if God doesn't give it to us, hey, bless you, God, praise you, God. Hey, you didn't give it to me. I'm Okay. But if you give it to me, God, I'm praise God, I'll love you no matter what, either way. Okay, because it's unrealistic to say that we're never going to desire or have a want for anything, right? But we should have a, a mindset of God is enough. And I'm going to be happy with whatever he gives me, whether little or much. But of course, Paul knew that this mindset was hard to have. The mindset now of not just saying, hey, I'd like these things and putting them in a petition to God, but the mindset of lusting after them, desiring after them, having to have them so bad that we forget everything else and throw caution to the wind. He knows that this mindset is a hard one to have because he saw it in his day. Because why? We're all flesh creatures, aren't we? People are flesh beings. We live in a fleshly body. We live in a fleshly materialistic world. And so, you know, because of these things... And Paul saw this, and Paul knew this was a problem. What does Paul do here? He has some words of warning to us on the dangers of money and what can happen to someone if they desire to be wealthy and not choose to make God and his provision enough. It's a choice. So what happens when a person, Christian or not, desires to be rich and is not satisfied with God and his provision? Well, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, Paul says, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, although Paul is aiming this section of Scripture toward Christians to help them keep a proper perspective on wealth, the dangers of running after wealth and money are the same for Christians or non-Christians alike. Paul says, either one, whether you're a Christian or not, running after riches... Whether to have more stuff or just to be filthy rich is a dangerous thing. And it leads everyone who falls prey to it into destruction physically and into perdition spiritually. Or, or perdition would also mean the torments of hell. 
That's what Paul was saying here. Anyone that runs after wealth, anyone that runs or lusts after or desires wealth so bad they just have to have it, they're headed for destruction in their flesh bodies now and in their spiritual bodies forever as they will suffer in hell because God wasn't enough and they just had to have the stuff. How do I know these things? Because I know these things firsthand. How do I know these things firsthand? Because I do. First of all, I know them because, number one, the Bible says they're so. And I've learned over 15, 16 years that I've been a Christian that whatever the Bible says, that's what's true. But there's another reason I know it to be true. I know that those that run after wealth and those that run after riches and those that love wealth and that are covetous and all this stuff, I know that to be true because I used to live that type of life before I loved Jesus Christ. Before I was saved, this is the life I lived. I lived all about materialism. Everything that I have, I wanted. Anything that I could have, I wanted. Anything I couldn't have, I was striving harder to get it. Working more hours at work to have. Ruining my life. Ruining my family's life to have. Because when you desire to be wealthy, when you desire to be rich, you not only ruin and destroy your own life, and you not only are taking yourself to hell, but chances are you're going to ruin your family's life as well too because they're with you. And you're the one that's not going to be spending time with them because you're off chasing this false dream that you can't take with you forever. And you're going to end up destroying people that are even close by you. Close friends. But this used to be me. I spent my life running and lusting and desiring after things. Wow. Pretty sad. And I remember those days and I don't ever want to go back to them because of all the things that I lusted after that I just had to have. I don't think I even still have another one. To, I don't even think I have any of that stuff to this day. 15, 16 years. I couldn't even hold on to it while I was on this earth. Let alone could I take it away with me when I leave. I couldn't even keep it on this earth. And the relationships and friendships and my marriage that I almost ruined and my family that I almost ruined, I wouldn't want that back for anything. Because now, godliness with contentment is great gain to me because God is enough to me. And sadly, I speak from experience on this. So Paul says here that those who desire to be rich or in love with money or covetousness or, 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 and set their minds on to having all that abundance will wind up living in destruction here on this earth and will end up in perdition or the torments of hell when they die. So it's really easy right now. You may be thinking, man, Pastor Ed, you're really hard on money today. You're really going after money and wealth in a real, real, real hard way. But am I really? It would be easy to look at money and wealth in a bad light after you hear my little bit of my testimony and after you hear what Paul had to say here. But is money... Should we look at money, should we be looking at wealth and money in an evil way? Are, or I should say, is money and is wealth, are they evil? In essence, are they really evil? Well, absolutely not. That's not what Paul said here, and that's not what I'm saying here either. I'm not saying money is evil. I'm not saying possessions are evil. I'm not saying that wealth is evil. No, money is no more evil than guns are evil. Many people in our world today would say guns are evil. I would say I disagree with them all the way because there's an old saying I learned growing up. Guns don't kill people. 
People kill people, right? The gun itself just is a material possession. It's only what it does in the hands of the person that has it, and then they take it, and then they kill people with it. The gun itself doesn't kill anybody on its own. Well, I would say the same of money. Money doesn't hurt people. Money doesn't kill people. But people with money hurt, kill, step on, destroy others, use the gospel or the teachings of the Bible to get rich, because of their desire to be wealthy. This is how they look at it. This is what they do with it. The same as when a person has a gun. Somebody takes the gun and just uses it for target practice. It's not doing anything wrong at all. But if they take it and they go shoot the shop owner because they desire to be wealthy, well, then they just committed an evil act with it. Well, the same thing with money. Money can be a great blessing. We can use money for God's kingdom. Money can be a great thing. But then again, The desire for it to be rich leads us to destruction. So no, money itself is not evil, but the love of money or the lust and running after it certainly is. Look at what Paul writes here in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He never said that the love of, he's never said that money was evil. He said the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil for for which some having strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil, or many evils. And according to Paul here, the love of money is so evil that it caused people in his day, and I'll say in our day too, many destructions or destructions in their lives, along with causing people to fall away from the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Think about the false prosperity preachers now and Paul just said about them, about this, about the love of money, leading people astray, leading people away from the faith. I'm almost positive, and I would almost bet a million dollars on this if I had it, that most of our current prosperity preachers at one time really had a love for God. At one time before they were famous, at one time before they did what they did to get where they're at, they had an earnest, serious love for God. But I'll say this, probably most of them, if not all of them, saw the money. The devil tempted them with money. And what did they do? They saw it, they were lured away by it, and because they were greedy, they, they ran after it and started teaching the Bible in a way that made them rich. They saw the opportunity, like a great running back in a football game will see a hole, and they'll run for that hole. That's the hole I got to go through. That's my opening. And unfortunately, they ran after that instead of keeping with Bible integrity and Bible context. And it's sad because if they do not repent, the Bible says that false teachers will have their place which burns in the lake, which is fire, which is eternal torments forever and ever. So money and wealth is not evil, but the love of it, where God is not enough, that's what's evil. Now, in light of all that Paul just said about money, in light of what Paul just said about, hey, godliness with, with you know, or, or con- godliness with contentment is great gain, what does he kind of not finish off with, but he's, 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 he's really thrust here to Timothy. What advice does Paul give Timothy on all the things that he just said, good about God being enough and bad about the desire for money? He starts in verse 11 through 16, and I'm just going to read him over as what Paul is telling Timothy to do. And you could think about it. If we're in that position today, this is what God wants us to do too. If we're desiring, if we're lusting after money, in light of what 
Paul said to Timothy, look at his response. Look at what his advice is to Timothy. He says, but you, speaking to Timothy and even to us today, but you, O man of God, flee these things. What are these things? The love of money, the desire to be rich. Get away from that love and money stuff. Get away from that having all the chicken have stuff. Get away from it. Because it's only going to lead you to destruction, Christian. It's only going to lead you to destruction, Timothy says. And he says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. These things, ladies and gentlemen, these things bring great joy. These things will bring great reward in heaven. The stuff that we accumulate on earth, nothing. These things bring great peace. These things are not like the things of this world. That's why Paul urges Timothy, get away from that stuff and pursue this godliness type stuff. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Don't fight to earn money. Don't fight to be rich. Don't fight to be wealthy. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Don't lay hold on on the stuff of this world that you can't take with you. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, I urge you in the sight of God. That's That's a pretty big urging. In the sight of God. When you hear that said in the Bible, that means, hey, as God is my witness, God's looking at us right now. I urge you when he's looking at us right now, who gives light to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until Jesus Christ comes back. Don't pursue wealth. Don't desire money. Don't desire all the crap of this world. I command you, I... I, I, Keep this commandment in purity, without spot, blameless. Keep this commandment perfectly. Don't slip from it. Keep it. Lay hold on eternal life. Let go of the things of this world and hold on to God, for he's enough. Verse 15, which he will manifest in his own time. And then he goes on to tell Timothy why. (laughs) He goes on to tell Timothy why. Why should you run from the evils of loving money and running after it and and lusting and desiring all this stuff? He goes on to say, he's speaking of God and Christ, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Or, real short, because God is great. God is amazing. God is powerful. He has all power and he's more than enough for everyone that'll come to him. That's why. Don't cling to the stuff of this world because God is enough. And because God's enough for us and Christians should run away from the love of money and lay hold on eternal life uh, with Jesus Christ and not desire to lust after this wealth, because it leads to destruction in life and perdition in hell forever. Look what Paul says to Christians of his day that had wealth and riches. And I'm going to sum it all up. Verses 17 through 19. Also, look at this. Verse 17. Command those that are rich in this present age. Command. 
Hey, those that have money, those that have wealth, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, which is heaven, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Hey, command those that are rich in the present age, don't let their money rule over them. They should rule over their money. And hey, let them use their money for good, not for evil. Let them use their money for God's kingdom and not for their own. Don't let them be greedy with their money now. Tell them, Timothy, don't be greedy with what you have, but be generous with it. And why? Why do we go back? What did Paul say? For you brought nothing into this world, and it's certain you're going to take nothing away. I know people, I've known people in the past that they're so rich and they're so wealthy, and they're also the most stingiest people in the world. And I said, hey, what are you going to do with all your money when you die? You're, you're so stingy. You're, you're so tight with your money. What are you going to do with your money when you die? Oh, well, what does that do for God's kingdom? It doesn't you who have money. It doesn't you who have wealth. Be generous with it. Do things for God's kingdom with it. Don't hold it all greedy for yourself. Serve God. And as Timothy ends up there, storing up for themselves a good foundation for time to come. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, lay, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Even Jesus said, hey, do things to benefit God's kingdom with everything you have and with your life, not just for yourself here, not just for yourself now. Paul closes this letter with these words. Look at verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Guard the people of your church. Give them these words, Timothy. Guard them against the dangers of prosperity gospel. Guard them against the dangers of the desire and the lust for money and things and the crap of this world avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. These people that preach this false gospel stuff, they really think they, they got the Bible down. They know it. But really, it's falsely called knowledge. And he says, by even professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Christians, listen to me. Those of you that love Jesus Christ, that are really born again, that love Jesus Christ with all your hearts, rich or poor, please listen to me right now. Money and possessions are not evil, as Paul said and as I said, but it is how we relate to them that can be evil. Absolutely. How we desire them, how we want them, these are where the evil comes in. What we'll do to get them. What portion of our lives we spend trying to earn them. So Christians, we must be careful what place in our hearts and our minds we give to having and desiring money, wealth, or anything else we may desire in our lives that we don't have. Is if you think about this, anything that we desire can easily become a snare and a stumbling block between us and God. Whenever God's not enough, and we want something else to fill because he's not enough, that's a stumbling block between us and God. 
And we need to be careful to not lust after anything or desire anything that we don't have because it can easily lead us away from Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote to us in verse 10. Remember these words of Christ in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon, or God in the spirit of things, or God in your riches, or God in your wealth, or God in your desire for wealth. You cannot serve both. You'll end up loving one and hating the other. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. We live in a fleshly, earthly body. And if we start to love the things of this world, it's real easy for our flesh to emulate toward that. We're going to end up stopping loving God and loving the crap of this world more than we love God if we're not careful. So for me, the other day, as I was meditating on the Lord and asking Him, Lord, what else can I say in this sermon in the presentation of this, you know, this sermon about money, what else can I say? These words came to my mind. I believe that God put them there. For me, these words came and I settled in my heart. This is me because I saw an error in me. These words came to my mind. I've got God and everything He's given me. And I will choose... To be happy having nothing else. I've got God and everything He's given me. And I will choose to be happy having nothing else. So obviously I saw that I had been desiring at that time other things in my life. And after these words came to my mind, I made a decision. I truly did in my heart of hearts, that I've got God and everything He's given me, and I will choose to be happy having nothing else. So my question to you today, you that are listening to me all over the world, China, Russia, wherever you are, in my home, in McKinney, Texas, wherever you may be, is God, is Christ enough for you? And are the provisions and the blessings that God has given you in your life enough for you as well too? Hey God, you're it. And you know what? The way I am, I'm I'm happy. It's okay. This is where you want me. I'm satisfied. Is this you? Because if he and the things that he's given you are not enough for you, then you will be consistently trying to strive and desiring other things in your life. And these other things will draw you away from God and Christ. And you will wind up not making it to heaven because you can't serve two masters. And Paul already said that the love of money has drawn people away from their faith. Is the love and desire for the wealth and the things of this world, has it drawn you away from God today? Is this you? Christians, everything you need is in Christ Jesus. I promise. No one will ever love you like He does. No one will ever give you the promises, the permanent promises, the eternal promises that are more precious and give you more hope than anything ever can give you a promise on this planet. The stuff on this planet goes away when we die. The promises I've been given by other people, they never made them. They never held true to him because they're all sinners just like me. And they lied. But God's not a liar. 
God's faithful. And if he gives you a promise, which there's so many, so many, it'd take 25 sermons to give you all God's promises to really talk about them. He doesn't lie. And he gives you his promises. And he's a man of his word. He is all you need. God is enough. And whatever he has given you is enough also. And when you surrender to this and stop desiring or lusting for everything else in this world, you will have more peace in your heart than anyone on earth. If you realize today that God and his provision for your life have not been enough for you, won't you repent, as I did the other day, and give him all your desire once again? Will you tell Christ today? Will you surrender Will you give up the fight? And will you say, I choose today, Jesus, to say and surrender to you, I've got you, Jesus Christ, and everything you have given me. And I will choose to be happy having nothing else. Unless you do, you won't have peace. And chances are, if you're not there, you'll end up being drawn away That's where we need to be. God knows what's best for us. And if there are things that we want that He hasn't given us and we've even been praying for Him, we have to say, God, that's Your will. That's Your will. And you know what? You're enough. And what You've given me is enough. And I choose to be happy with it. And I refuse to fall away from You. I refuse to go after these things and stop loving You. If this is You today, please, Jesus, I choose today to say and surrender to, I've got you and everything you've given me, and I will choose to be happy having nothing else. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for everything you have given me. Thank you, Lord, that you are enough for me. And Lord, I pray these words, not just words. You know you have it all for me, Lord. You know you have my all. And I'm not, that's it. I'm not, whatever you don't want me to have, I don't want to have. Or whatever I have, you want me to have, I'm good with. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to be happy with these things. Thank you for this sermon for me. Thank you for this sermon for the world. Lord, as so many people needed to hear these words today. And thank you, Lord God, that you gave them. And thank you that you gave them to me. And thank you that you gave them to them. I pray now, as I prayed in the beginning of the sermon, that we would not just be hearers of this word, Lord, but that we would be doers of your word. We saw here what Paul said to Timothy. We saw here what Paul thought was the best, which is godliness with great gain brings, or godliness with contentment brings great gain. And we know when we saw the warnings, Lord. Now it's up to us. I pray for everyone listening that they would choose to say, Jesus Christ, I've got you and everything you've given me. And I will choose to be happy with having nothing else or, or, or if I never have anything else. Thank you so much. And may you be glorified in all that we do. And may you be the center of which we love and whom we desire and have a passion for and with nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray these things, dear God. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because 
your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.